the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner to begin today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. A person who truly realizes what it means to be a Christian, who realizes all that the grace of God has meant to him and done for him, and understands that ultimately God has done this in order that he may influence others, is a person who cannot hide it. Not only that, he doesn't want to hide it. The biggest thing in his life is to be a light on a lampstand. The light of the world has been shed abroad in our hearts and minds as Christians. Does it shine all the more to those around you? Is it something you long to see shining forth to those around you? These are a couple of questions that the parable of the lamp and the lampstand demand from us, answers to that glorify God. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We've got another look at the parable of the lamp and the lampstand, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Join us there, won't you, for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Because the kingdom has come and advances as the gospel shines all over the world, Jesus supplies his parable in verse 18. And he says, therefore, therefore, since everything I have told you is true, since I am the preacher of the gospel par excellence who transforms people's lives through those who preach on my behalf, since I am the sower who plants the seed of the word in people's hearts and it bears fruit, since I am the preacher of the parables who hides the truth from some and reveals it to others, since I am the lamp and my people comprise that lamp, and that lamp is not to be hidden but shine all over the world, bringing people into the kingdom of Almighty God, since all this is true, verse 18, therefore take care how you listen. For whoever has to him shall more be given, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Take care how you listen. Mark puts it a little differently in Mark 4.24. He quotes Jesus saying, take care what you listen to. Don't just listen to any preacher. Listen to faithful Bible preaching. And when you hear faithful Bible preaching, take care how you listen. Listen in such a way that when that word is planted in your heart, you're going to be ready to receive it. And it's going to bear fruit in your life. And if it doesn't, the results of that preached word rejected by you will be fatal in you. Don't be naive, beloved. Those who refuse to pay close attention to the preaching of the word of God will not go unpunished. Because Christ plainly reveals himself and his kingdom in the preaching of the gospel so that no one is excused who refuses to believe it. And because Christ freely offers the life of his kingdom to whoever hears and believes that gospel, it is of the utmost and greatest urgency 
that you and I give that gospel and that witnessing of it and the preaching of it, the most careful, believing, submissive listening that we are capable of giving to it. Because as Mark quotes Jesus, by the standard of your measure, it shall be measured to you. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Be careful how you listen. Because by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What is that standard of measure? It is how you faithfully listen to faithful preaching. In other words, if you listen to preaching in a richly profound, attentive way, then the preached word will come to you with eagerness and with joy, and you'll receive a rich share in the kingdom of God, and that share will continue to increase as time goes on. The Westminster Shorter Catechism reflects this emphasis of Jesus made in the parable of the lamp and the lampstand and his explanation. It teaches us, that is, through the Word of God, that the saving powers of the kingdom of God are manifested in a transforming and saving of sinners and its bringing of them into the kingdom of light. Question 89 of the Shorter Catechism asks, How is the Word made effectual to salvation? Answer, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in boldness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So, reading the Bible is, of course, important. Giving people tracts is important. Putting Bibles into people's hands is important. But what our Shorter Catechism says, reflecting on the Word of God, is that the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So I ask you again this week, and I ask you because I want you to understand how important this is, beloved, to the kingdom of God. When was the last time you brought someone under the preaching of the Word of God? Do you try to do it every week? You ask, why should I? Because it is especially the preaching of the word, the preaching of the cross, that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The Shorter Catechism also says, if the preached word is to be effective in us, we must give it our most careful concentration. Listen to Shorter Catechism 90. How is the word to be read and heard that it becomes effective to salvation in us? Answer, in order that the word may become effective to salvation in us, we must attempt thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. We must receive it with faith and love, lay it up on our hearts, and practice it in our lives. In other words, if we are going to pay proper attention to the word of God so that it benefits us, we must pay attention when God's word is preached, concentrating on every point and not allowing our minds to wander. But you say, Gary, I've got a couple of problems with that. Number one is myself. I have a hard time concentrating. The older I get, it seems that it's harder for me to concentrate. I just can't seem to concentrate. No, beloved, the word is not can't, it is won't. Do you know what causes us to have a difficult time concentrating? It is watching television and working on computers with images and videos for long periods of time. 
Sometime pick up the book by Neil Postman, Entertaining Ourselves to Death. And listen to what Christian author Gene Veith, in his book, Postmodern Times, A Christian Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture, says, Learning by images all the time destroys sustained thought. Think about it. If you watch a two-hour movie on television, all you have to concentrate for is about a 10-minute period of time. And then there's a commercial, and then there's another commercial, and then there's another commercial, and then another 10-minute block of the movie. Watching television and videos a good part of the day destroys your ability to concentrate. And so you've got to try even harder. You say, Gary, I, I, I can't do that. I just, I just can't seem to concentrate. Then shut off the television. Read good books. And take ginkgo. You know, that stuff that gets your blood up to your brain. Concentrate on every point. But you say, Gary, your preaching is, is you know, it's a, it's a bit long. It's kind of hard to concentrate on every point. No one's attention span is that long. Please tell me, where in the Bible it says a person's attention span is only 20 or 30 minutes? Where do people get that? Where in the Bible does it say a pastor should preach no longer than 30 minutes? Some of you are probably going to go home and watch football today. Football games are longer than what I preach. If you go to a movie theater, you're always able to sit there for at least an hour and a half to two hours. Oh, I know I'm not as entertaining as football games and movies, but normally movies add very little to your sanctification. And beloved, whatever you do, don't tell God you cannot concentrate. We must come to preaching with holy hunger and thirst for the spiritual nourishment of God's Word. We must come with tenderness of heart rather than a hard heart. We must make ourselves responsive and vulnerable to whatever the Word says. We must listen to the preached Word with teachableness and submissiveness, willing, willing to be corrected and rebuked by it. We must listen to the preached Word with a believing heart. For the Bible says the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith by those who heard. Believe whatever the Bible says and believe it enough to apply it to your own life. When the word of God is preached, believe to be true whatever is revealed for the authority of God himself is speaking therein, beloved. Yield obedience to the commands, trembling at the threats and embracing the promises of God for this life and that life which is to come. Be attentive in your hearing of preaching. Take notes. Meditate on what is preached. Hebrews says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention in what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Put what you hear preached into practice. Live on the sermons that you hear. Live out the sermons that you hear. Obedience is the crown of hearing. An understanding head without a fruitful life is worthless, beloved. Beg God to bless the preaching of His Word to you. 
that He would bring His presence and His powers and His blessing to you so that the Holy Spirit will make effective in your life what is preached to your ears. And finally, beloved, if you want the preached Word to bear fruit in your own life, talk about what you heard with your family and your friends after the sermon is over. One reason people get very little out of a sermon is because they never speak to other people about what was preached as if sermons are secrets that no one should ever be told or as if they are ashamed to speak of the matters of salvation. You know, there are lots of reasons why I love to preach, a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons is because as I learn things through my study and I tell you those things, they stick with me even more. When I have to digest and put into my own words what I got out of the Word of God, it makes it last. It makes it a part of me. I remember those things because I have the opportunity and the privilege to preach to you. And when you talk to other people about the teaching of the Word of God, it will do the same for you, beloved. Turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. This is a very, very interesting verse. Malachi says, Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who estimated, who estimated, who esteemed his name. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? And there are a couple of things going on here. First, Malachi is distinguishing the faithful people of God from the apostate people in Judah. And he makes that contrast by describing the character and conduct of the faithful people. He says, The faithful people of God fear the Lord with a fear of adoration, praise, and worship, and submission. And in their conduct, while the apostate people speak to each other in words of skepticism and blasphemy, those people who fear the Lord speak to each other with words of encouragement and faith. They they talk to their families about what was preached. Today they get CDs after church and they, they give them to their friends and family members and ask them to listen to them. And then after they've listened to them, they come to them and they talk to them about those messages. Listen to one commentator by the name of Alan Moore. He said, when the wicked are talking against God, the righteous should talk for him. Religious conversation is necessary all the more for the very reason that often chill and repress it. And then he gives this illustration. When a fire burns low, the coals that are alive should be brought and gathered together, that they may be blown into a flame. So when all is cold and dead, Christians should draw near to the breathing of the Spirit and be kindled by one another through mutual utterances. The words thus then spoken shall be heard and recorded in heaven. The words thus and then spoken shall be heard and recorded in heaven. Malachi said in the verse that I just read, when Christians talk to one another about what they got out of the Word of God, God takes notes. The last time you were talking to your children about a sermon, God was in heaven taking notes. Notes. When you talk to your friends about the preached word, God in heaven records it, beloved. Now go back to the illustration of the burning coals. 
Have you ever had a grill or a fireplace that, you know, it's been burning for a while? It was it red hot, but after it burned for a while, it began to dim, and the coals or the wood got smaller, and they fell apart. You didn't want to put another log on, but, you know, you didn't see any more glow. The wood was just gray and white with no real glow at all. Well, what do you do in that case? You get the stoker or the poker, and you try to get all those little pieces of wood or coal on the grill closer together so that the heat from each one causes them all to glow to a bright orange color again. That's what talking to each other about the Word of God in this culture of death when we are burning low does to us. When Christians get together, the flames get hotter. This kind of conversation about the preached Word continues to make that Word more effective in believers long after the sermon is over. Well, I want you to look at one last text, and then I'll be finished for the day. And that is the expansion of what Jesus taught about the lamp and the lampstand in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 14 through 16. He takes this same parable about the lamp and the lampstand, and then he expands on it, and he says in verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to everyone who is in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. To me, this is one of the most astounding and extraordinary statements about Christians that's ever been made. It says, you are the light of the world. You. Who is the you? The you, in Jesus, the you is Jesus' disciples that were listening to the Sermon on the Mount as well as all of us who read these words today and all those through the ages. Ordinary people, completely unimportant in the eyes of the world. You, brothers and sisters, are the light of the world. And it says this in an emphatic way in the Greek. You and you alone are the light of the world. The world is in darkness, even though the world talks all about its enlightenment. It is in darkness, and there's no light at all in the world, apart from the light that is provided by Christ through his faithful disciples. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said to his disciples, you're the light of the world. Paul said, you were at one time the darkness, but now you are the light. Christ is the sun, S-U-N. We are the moon, and his light reflects off of us into this world. We have received his light. That's why we're called lamps. We have been enlightened by the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom, and we have become, beloved, transmitters of the light and life of the kingdom by the witness of our words and of our lives. Now, what's the effect of light? If we are to be lamps in the light of the world, what does it do? Light exposes what is in darkness. Light reveals the causes of darkness. Light shows the only way out of darkness. You and I live in a society of people who live every second of their lives in the darkest of darkness. 
And all the while, they are proudly being saying that they are enlightened. But those poor people will never have any light anywhere in the world except from you and me because we have the gospel of Christ's kingdom. And that kingdom, that gospel, which manifested saving power and light and life through our preaching and our witness-bearing, is the only light they have. Let it shine, beloved. Though people of darkness are constantly watching us, do they see anything different about us? Do they say anything in us they long to have in their lives? Does your life draw them to him who is the light of the world? If it does, then you tell them the glorious truth that Christ came into this world to save sinners, to give people new life and light in this present darkness. You know, God said about you, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood a holy nation, a unique people in order that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And why should Christians want to be lights in this world? Why is it the most important thing in our lives to be a light on a lampstand? Remember Paul said, for I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Well, first of all, we were saved by Christ to be lights in the world. We are lamps, and the lamp has no other purpose, has no other purpose but to enlighten people. Second, Jesus said, we are a city set on a hill, and such a city cannot be hid. You've got to be blind not to see this city. In other words, the difference between us and this dark world must be self-evident and obvious. And Jesus presses the point by asking us, says Lloyd-Jones, to imagine a man lighting a light and then putting that light under a bushel instead of putting it on a candlestick. What our Lord is saying, Jones says, is that covering the light of the lamp is a ridiculous and contradictive, contradictory procedure. The whole purpose of the light is that it may give light. Light has only one essential quality. The essential quality of light is that it is a light and it gives light and it really has no other function whatsoever. In other words, the moment it ceases to act as light, it has no value. Its essential quality is its only quality. And once it loses that, it becomes entirely useless. In fact, professed Christians who are not living and witnessing as the lights of the world are the most useless people in the world, end quote. A light lights people's lives. Is that how you see yourself, beloved? Lloyd-Jones says again, perhaps we can sum it all up this way. A true Christian cannot be hid. He cannot escape notice. A man truly living and functioning as a Christian will stand out. He will be like salt. He will be like a city set on a hill. He will be like a candle set on a candlestick. But we can also add this further word. 
true Christian, a true Christian does not even desire to hide his light. He's how, he sees how ridiculous it is to claim to be a Christian and yet deliberately try to hide the fact. A person who truly realizes what it means to be a Christian who realizes all that the grace of God has meant to him and done for him and understands that ultimately God has done this in order that he may influence others, is a person who cannot hide it. Not only that, he doesn't want to hide it. The biggest thing in his life is to be a light on a lampstand. I ask you, beloved, does that describe you? and me. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.